0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: Welcome back. It's the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined, as always, by my co-host, Nick Filato. Coming to you after the Giants week 17 loss to the Los Angeles Rams on a last second field goal attempt that went awry for the Giants. The Giants have actually been on the end opposite end of last second field goals a lot this year, Green Bay, New England. A few have went their way. This one didn't go their way, quote unquote, depending on how you view their way to go in week 17 (laughs) of a lost season when the Giants are already officially eliminated from the playoffs. You may view it as a win that that field goal went awry, but very interesting game, Nick, for the first, you know, a lot of these we've been through a lot of these types of seasons, Nick, recently that are just dead in the water by like week eight or nine. And, you know, maybe like you start to see a winning streak and you go, oh, well, if this thing happens, the Giants can grind their way to the seven seed. of, But like typically it hasn't ended in that um, this year, another example of where it did not end in a playoff berth. But at the end of these seasons, I'm typically used to seeing just boring, uninspiring, not entertaining football, kind of like that Saints game. Couple weeks ago, Nick. It was only two weeks ago, but this was not that. This was a very entertaining watch uh, as far as Giants games and lost seasons go. Nick, the Giants had, I believe, just under 320 yards passing in this game, and that was only the third time the Giants have had a 300-yard passer in the last 46 regular season games. A really a standing and phenomenal stat to have. That's been you know three 300-yard passers in 46 games. I have to really repeat it because it's so absurd, but. That was the bare minimum. They had 47 yards on a deep post to Jalen Hyatt. That was called back. That would have put them in the 360, 365 range passing. They had the Darren Waller deep over that, you know, Tyrod Taylor couldn't get the ball out on time. And obviously Matt Parrott, if you watch the clip, I put it on, on, on Twitter, was beat like a drum. Like at the start of that snap, Matt Parrott is so freaking bad in pass protection, Nick. It's unbelievable that he's on an NFL team. That was another 65, 70 yards probably of passing if he gets that. And then obviously the, the passes that Taylor missed by just Short arming them and just bad ball placement. The drops, Barkley's drop, that could have been a 40 yard catch. So, you know, we could have been looking at a 400 yard passing game. And that's just something out of the ordinary watching the Giants over the last five years. There just hasn't been a lot of verticality to their pass game. There was a lot of verticality in this game all throughout the game. And that made for entertaining football. You know, if you win, you lose, doesn't matter. As far as entertainment goes, you want to have some kind of vertical option as a as a fan to watch your pass. You know, the pa- vertical option in the pass game. Giants certainly got that in this game. So as far as losses go, Nick, this was as entertaining as it gets for me. because There's actual passing in this game, vertical wise. And you know where I'm at in this type of season. I am ultimately happier that they did not come away with a win in this game, to be honest.
2: I absolutely love seeing the vertical passing and I think you're right. We have to look forward to the draft. You want to win the football game, but this was the optimal game for the Giants. They were respectable. They made the Rams butthole very tight. They pushed them to the brink in a very important game, got to a field goal attempt and then lost. And it's a microcosm and it's like a third or fourth time I'm saying it this season, man, but it is, it's a microcosm of the 2023 season for the New York Giants where execution failed them, where they tease you a little bit and then they fall. And I just go through these games in my head, man, you got the jet game. You have the bills game. Hell, you can group in the Eagles game last week as well, where the giants had a realistic chance to win the football game, but they found a way to shoot themselves in the foot. They took a lot of stupid penalties. You had Mason Crosby missing the extra point. You had Tyrod Taylor, just missing a lot of easy gimme throws. And that's, the uh, I guess the catch twenty-two to Tyrod Taylor, is that um what sixty or that eighty-yard touchdown pass I should say to Darius Slayton that traveled like sixty yards in the air? That might have been the, that might have been the nicest pass I've seen a Giants throw since Eli Manning.
1: It might have been. It really might have been. Not really, it might have been. It, it straight up was the best pass. It's beautiful, wise we've seen from a quarterback since Eli Manning. It is
2: beautiful, speaking. and that is what Tyrod Taylor can do for you. And there's yeah, bunch, he misses the layup the throws. <laughs> he misses the layup throws, and he missed a sh- ton of layup throws against yeah, the Eagles did. last week. He yep. missed he missed layup throws every time he gets in there. Yes. And then in this game, the indecisiveness, as he phrased it, on um, the two point conversion attempt to Saquon Barkley, kind of killed the Giants. Yep. And that was terrible. that wasn't even the only one. You had the Darren Waller one. You had another one to Saquon Barkley. And it's just like very wildly frustrating when you when you want to win the football game. Because you see the potential of Tyrod making those passes, and then you see how inconsistent he is with those just absolutely gotta have it gimme type of throws. Daniel Jones isn't even great with those gimme throws, but he's a lot better than Tyrod in that area. It's just Daniel Jones just is hesitant to let it rip at all down the football field, whereas Tyrod Taylor is going to stretch you vertically. And I'll take that any day over the week over somebody who is hesitant to throw the football deep.
1: Yeah, I mean, you got to have a verticality to your passing game. So I would agree with you on that last point. The only way to win in football is if you have any kind of vertical element to your passing game. If you do not have a vertical element to your passing game, it's way too easy to scheme against you. It's a bottom line kind of thing. Watch enough football and you'll come to that conclusion. Safeties come up, cornerbacks drive on stick routes, the run game is exposed. You cannot have no verticality in your passing game. And the best way to get verticality is by actually attempting vertical shots early and often. So the defense has to play you differently. But like you said, That's the catch 22 because Tyrod Taylor is really frustrating watch when it comes to the easy layup gimme throws. That's something that he struggled on. Even a play that I saw that was an 18-yard gain to Darren Waller at one point in the game on tape. Nick, the ball placement was just so bad that Waller basically had to break and stop his route and catch the football really low and behind him. If that ball has good ball placement and Taylor gets it out of his hand faster, I mean, that's a big, big play again for Waller. Same thing with the Parrot rep I talked about earlier. The Jalen Hyatt. The Jalen yeah. Hyatt
2: fourth and one player, sure. look, everyone's bitching at Jalen Hyatt, rightfully so. Like he ran back, but one reason why he wasn't running along the line of scrimmage or even, you know, one yard pass, it was the, the pass was the thrown place. behind him. Yep. He had to catch it. And then he was like, oh, maybe I can outrun the angle of where this defensive back is, but he just couldn't. He had the Hodgins on, on a cross that could have went for like 30 or 40 yards where Hodgins had to fall down catching the football he was wide open that was off the touchdown or the would be touchdown to Isaiah Hodgins as well that ball was thrown a little bit inside right like it's just there's there's not optimal ball placement from Tyrod Taylor over the last two games that we have seen him unfortunately but you still see the explosive plays and 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 his ability and man he really can he could throw the football very well like I don't know if we have discussed enough on this podcast how good of an arm Tyrod Taylor has
1: and how good he is at manipulating the pocket So those are the two things right there. It's the explosive arm talent that I didn't even really know was quite at the level it was at before he signed with the Giants. I always kind of saw him throwing good deep balls, you know, with other stints. And we watched some tape of him at Houston before he came here. But I didn't extensively, you know, go back through all of his film. But he really does have explosive arm talent. I think part of it is just his ability to generate velocity from different arm slots and from unbalanced bases. And it's just a more it's a different throwing Motion and mechanics than some of the over the top type throwers like a Daniel Jones type, uh, but also it's the second thing. It's the pocket manipulation. I mean, I the the, the play that was called back to Jalen Hyatt that was some of the most the best. I'm going to throw it up at some point. I have it on Twitter and I'll, I'll share it here. Well, maybe at the end of the show. But that was some of the best pocket manipulation I've seen basically ever from watching tape of the Giants. Um, they've only had you know three or four quarterbacks, real quarterbacks. I've watched since we started doing this podcast, but. He has took, did such a good job on that play of just sidestepping away from the pressure in kind of like a, almost like a side, like a, it looks like he's doing a dance move, Nick, and then stepping up through the pocket to hit that post to high call back by the uh, John Michael Schmidt's penalty. It was a 47 yarder, but you know, that's not enough. That's, that's kind of the, what we're getting at here, Nick, I think that's what you're getting at. That's what I'm getting at. He does some things really well, Tyrod Taylor, and he adds a vertical element to the offense that the giants were simply lacking. To be completely frank, over the last five years, both by the eye tests, the film, and the numbers, um, you know, some believe that oh, there was no way to get a vertical pass element to the Giants' offense with an offensive line so bad. Well, well, that's quite frankly been disproven this year, and you can deny it still. If you're still denying it, I don't really know what to tell you at this point because the Giants have generated explosive pass plays and a vertical element in the Tyrod Taylor starts this season, even to an extent in the DeVito starts the season, despite not having a good offensive line. And you could say, well, the offensive line is much better than it was at the beginning of this year, and you'd be right, but you wouldn't be right that it was much better than it was in 2022 with a healthy Andrew Thomas when the Giants were dead last in explosive pass plays and had no vertical element to their pass game. So part of it does come down to can the quarterback process? Does the quarterback understand space post snap? And does he throw with anticipation on the vertical plane? It's not just all, if you don't have enough time to pass protect, you can't have a vertical element to your pass game. And I hope this season kind of proved that to those fans who were, you know, very make, making that point very strongly that, you know what? I'm not really worried about us not throwing vertically in 2022 because the O-line was so bad. It's, it's just simply impossible because this year really did prove it was possible. But again, Nick, that's only one element to this whole thing. And that's why I think we're both in agreement that while Tyrod has, you know, added a vertical element, that's fun to work Watch on tape, he's ultimately not the answer for the Giants long term either.
2: No, of course not. I mean, that's not even just because he's 34, or 35 right. years old. It's also just off of a skill set thing. And Tyrod Taylor has been around the league for a while, was never really able to fully, you know, hone in on a job and earn that job to be his. And it's because of some of those mistakes. It's also because he he's a little uh, reckless. I would yes. say when he, when he's out there, he took like two hits in this game where I was like, I don't know if he's getting up. We might see some Tommy Cutlets back out on the football I field. The Same
1: but, thing, dude. He takes yeah. bad hits in these games.
2: He takes bad hits. I mean, I love the toughness in the sense that he's willing to take those hits, but he's not that big of a guy either. Yeah. Tyrod Taylor. He's like, what, like six, one, maybe like two two o five, two ten, 210, something like that. So he's not like Daniel Jones. Who's like six, 225 pounds. There's a big difference between those two players, but overall, man, as a backup quarterback, he's the ideal backup quarterback. Tyrod Agreed. Taylor is the ideal backup quarterback to have in the building. We've even seen him get benched for Tommy DeVito, and he, you know, kind of took it in a stride. He made a couple comments like, you know, yeah, I'm frustrated about it, but he didn't. He wasn't a distraction. And it's easy to watch this tape, and even though it is frustrating, Tyrod's missing some of these easy plays. Tyrod Taylor is a much better option than Tommy DeVito. Like that, I think that's undeniable. Close.
0: Just go to Indeed.com slash Blue Wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
2: What's going on, Big Blue Banter listeners? I'm excited for the football season for several reasons. And one of those reasons is Prize Picks, which is North America's largest independently owned daily fantasy sports platform, and it's so simple to use. Instead of battling thousands of other players, including professionals, sharks, and people who are going to exploit you, you pick more than or less than on two to six player stat projections, and you just watch the winnings roll in. It's very simple to play and gives you a little extra skin. I've set my picks in less than 60 seconds, there are so many stats to choose from, and the withdrawals of funds are easy and quick. Dan and I will be adding a segment to our show before every game where we pick our favorite stats, more or less yards or touchdowns, what have you, and we'll be discussing why from a scheme, matchup, and game theory perspective. I love their promotions and how easy their interface is to operate at prize picks. I may select more on tackles for a loss from Bobby Okereke or Kayvon Thibodeau next game. They also do other sports as well. It's a really cool experience. Please join Dan and I in the fun of prize picks. Go to prizepicks.com slash banter and use code banter for a first deposit match up to $100. Again, go to prizepicks.com slash banter and use code banter for a first deposit matchup to $100. You will not regret it. Make Little Caesars, the official pizza sponsor of the NFL, part of your game day. There are few things better in the world than kicking back, watching some football, and biting into some delicious Little Caesars pizza. Order online during our Pizza Pizza pregame, one hour before and three hours after NFL kickoffs, plus all day on Sunday, and get ready for some football and fun. Choose your favorite Little Caesars pizza or pick the toppings you crave. Old world pepperoni, pepperoni, extra cheese, Italian sausage, olives, onions, pineapple if you're into that. Put it on half the pie, the entire pie. There are so many other options that I don't have time to name. Slap that on a round crust, a thin crust, a stuffed crust, a Detroit-style deep dish. Either way, you win. And speaking of winning, Everyone scores with convenient delivery or our in-store pizza portal pickup. So grab some friends and enjoy a few slices during the game. It's not even close. I mean, you're watching on YouTube right now. You see this deep. That's the nicest throw I've seen a giant make since Eli freaking Manning. dude. That's, Objectively that's-
1: speaking, no matter how big of a homer you are for any one individual, you can't look at that 80-yard throw that we just put on tape. And for those watch uh, listening, we're playing some of the plays back through on YouTube if you want to watch them. And we may go over a few at the end from from that I put on Twitter, but Nick just rolled through the 80-yard touchdown pass to Darius Slayton. You just, uh, please, please just take a deep breath and ask yourself if you've seen a better pass thrown by any quarterback since Eli Manning was a quarterback of this team. And the answer is no. You can maybe... Compare it to the Darius Slayton rolling to his left against Tampa Bay. Daniel Jones first start ever. But that ball's like, you know, 35, 40 yards in the air. This one traveled 63 in the air and hit a receiver in stride. So he didn't have to break stride. And he walked it in for the touchdown. Like that is a beautiful throw.
2: Dan, when is the last time and everybody watching on YouTube, we've seen a Giants player do this. Catch a football in stride, then point and celebrate as they go into the end zone. We never see that as New York Giants fans. We never see somebody be led this well into space. Can uh, you allow the wide receiver to run under the football? He catches it, looks around, sees he's like three yards in front of everybody, puts his hand up in the air and celebrates five yards before he gets into the end zone. We never See that, and we saw that here because Tyrod put Darius Slayton into the best position. Saquon Barkley with this pass blocking rep was amazing, and he was yes. phenomenal all game in pass protection. This wasn't the only one, this was the best one, and the and the uh one that was of most consequence because it led to an 80 yard touchdown pass. But holy crap, man, like this this play, just inject this into every giant fan's veins because this this is amazing. I would love to see this and roll more
1: consistently and roll this back a little or yeah, right from there from that end zone angle. I mean when we're something Nick brought up earlier, like both of us are a little bit, you know, pleasantly surprised, I guess you can say about just how damn good Tyrod Taylor's arm talent is like this throw from this base, dude, he's, he's navigating the pocket. He's doing good job, manipulating it from within the pocket, not collapsing under the pressure, but like, that's a lot of juice to get on that football to have that thing travel 63 yards in the air. He's not really even fully balanced from his base. He doesn't really ground his feet in this, on this throw. It's a crazy arm talent throw. Like this is something that Matt Sims, or I'm sorry. Yeah. Matt Sims broke down when we, when we had him on the podcast and we showed him that play against Buffalo from Tyrod when he's rolling to his left and he kind of had, does a similar thing generating just a lot from just the arm. and, And I like how Matt Sims broke it down, Nick. It's really just a lot of just that arm action that gets this kind of power and and i guess velocity on this throw it's not a lot of base here i mean you could see he kind of does use his base here obviously you can see that left foot is planted and he drives from it but this is a lot of arm talent right here and it's crazy to watch a lot of, that's, that a lot of hit,
2: that's a lot of rotation. And it's hip yeah and look, that's look something he
1: talked about too how he uses his hips in his throws
2: you could see how that back leg starts the turn and you could you can witness the torque once he uncorks yep. his arm and, and throws it like that's, this is a phenomenal play overall. This is one of my favorite plays of the 2023 season of the New York Giants. This one yeah, right here. It's, hard the longest, to it's the longest pass play. We, we never see plays like this, but it's also just Saquon Barkley in pass protection. It's Tyrod Taylor, not panicking, which is a problem that giant quarterbacks have had in recent memory. It's him right. trusting the protection, which is really good. You can see Andrew Thomas own his guy on the edge. You see how the giants slide their protection, To the right, well, it's also because Justin Pugh's guy releases inside to open up the B gap. This is what Wink Martindale does consistently. We saw so much of that in this game with exotic blitz. I think the Giants blitzed on like 74% of Matt Stafford's dropbacks or just overall plays. Giants were very aggressive. You can see the path of the Rams defenders go inside, loop the end man on the line of scrimmage wide, open up the B gap, isolate Saquon Barkley, and I for Saquon Barkley to make a play, Saquon Barkley made a play, and then some gave Tyrod the time, and then made this pass. And also, if we look at the uh, other copy, I'll rewind it here real quick. Look at Wanda Robinson's little pivot route. It's just he is so fun with little things like this, man. Just top of your screen, boom! Like look how quick and smooth that is. Yep, tempoed release, step. Like if Tyrod wanted it, he could have hit Wanda Robinson and had like a thirty, maybe even a forty yard gain. To Wanda Robinson on the pivot route so just overall this is one of my favorite plays that we've seen this year
1: yeah just an absolutely excellent play here and it's you know this goes back to you know what we talked about earlier it's like There are, like, if anyone who comes to me and we're like, you know, Tyrod cost the Giants the game by missing Saipon on that two wing version, I get that if you're just going to look at one individual play, but the Giants aren't even in this game without the vertical shots that he makes. There's no game without the 80 yard touchdown pass. In both of the last two weeks, his 70 yard touchdown throw to Slayton and the 80 yard touchdown throw this game to Slayton, the Giants were down 10 points plus in the fourth quarter with zero momentum at all on their side. And having a one play scoring drive like that, 70 and 80 yards, backed up all the way in your own end zone changes the whole momentum of the game entirely. And that's exactly why you can't just look at one play. And it was a really bad play by Tyrod to miss, uh, you know, Barkley on that throw, but these they're not in that position without the other plays. And that's kind of, uh, you know, some of what the vertical element has added in my opinion to these giants games in recent weeks, not just makes it exciting to watch. It actually gives them a chance because on one play, they can flip the entire momentum of the game with seven points backed up on their own 30 or 20
2: which is not something that we've had in our arsenal as Giant fans and people who cover this team for, for quite a while. And it's something we've seen several times this year from Tyrod Taylor hitting these deep passes, second consecutive week at the Giants set the record for the longest pass of the season, both to Darius Slayton, who was a speedster, who a lot of people have problems with his ability to, or his inability to secure catches. But holy crap, you see what Darius Slayton can do when you, when right. you allow him to just... Up, use his speed and his acceleration and to keep some of those plays alive. And I'm, we're continuing to run through some plays, some quick concepts. And there's one to Wondell Robinson. There were a couple plays, man, that end around it's somewhere in this long, yeah. this long uh, montage or whatever I have here. I love when that guy gets into space, Wondell mm-hmm. Robinson. He's so much more of a weapon than, than maybe we anticipated when the Giants drafted him with the second round pick. I, I think it's safe to say that at this point
1: yeah i completely agree with you on that take and one thing i was thinking about you know when watching the film of this game nick is this to me is the perfect kind of game for the giants in a lost season like this when they're already at a playoff contention not just because it was exciting and fun to watch but because if you're at a playoff contention nick i would so much rather this be the game plan and the plan of attack to kind of open things up vertically, take a lot of vertical shots, you know, get into a game where you have tons of air yards in the past game really could have had, like I said, 400 plus yards passing if they didn't have penalties that call back and you know, bad misses and drops, because I'd rather do that in a tank Nick. And, you know, and part of it, why I want to do that, Nick, is because I ultimately think this is what Brian Dable, longs for in his offense, Nick, he wants an offense that runs vertically like this, you know, like they, like he had with Josh Allen and the bills, a vertically oriented offense that attacks at all levels of the field through, you know, intermediate deep shots early, often get the defense thinking that. And it gives you a little glimpse of like what it could potentially be here in a game like this. And to me, that's so much better in a loss season than like, let's play ball control offense. Let's not turn it over. Let's grind another win. Like we did in the 2022 season. And let's get a 13, 10 win against the Rams or 20 to 17 win against the Rams in the end of a season, like by, you know, winning the ball control battle, not turning it over in you know, all those things that they did to try to win football games last year. And at the beginning of this year, and at times this year, like when they went to Tommy DeVito, for the most part, that's what they were doing. Yes, they had some shots, but for the most part, they were trying to limit Tommy DeVito's ability to turn the ball over, which they did. He didn't really turn the ball over Tommy in those starts. But at the same time, what did you get from that? Nothing really, because again, that's not what the offense is going to be moving forward for the Giants. If Daniel Jones is starting for 2024, it might be what the offense is going to be, because that might be the only way they feel like they can win. But as they move forward, Nick, and they make that change at quarterback eventually, and they get an explosive thrower back in this offense at the quarterback position, I think this is what's going to what they're going to want it to look more like. So why not get a glimpse of what it could look like now? Start to plan for that rather than stick with your ball control grind out style right now at the end of a season like this. Hey, I'm not faulting the giants for putting Tommy DeVito in there. You have to
2: see what he had. And that was the best way to use him at the time with Tyrod, who was on the IR. Oh, and then yeah, when he, we, then well, when he, he was winning that. and then when he was winning, you weren't going to bench him. But the first sign of struggle, they benched him in favor of Tyrod Taylor. And now they're implementing what you just laid out. It's like, okay, let's let Tyrod Taylor rip. Let's see what the giants could do. Let's air it out. And here I have it frozen on the two point conversion attempt. Cause I want to bring this up real quick. The three-by-one nub with Darren Waller. You had Saquon Barkley to the three-receiver side. What does this play remind you of? The touchdown that Tommy DeVito had to Saquon yep. Barkley against Washington. It's the same exact play. I'm not sure if that one had the Saquon Barkley motion, but you motion Saquon to the left, and then you release him through the formation, mesh concept, man coverage just absolutely annihilator. And this is the second time the Giants have used this on the goal line, and it w- should have been successful. Like Tyrod Taylor could have ran this. He could have threw it. He was indecisive. Bad ball, Saquon couldn't catch it, and uh it just goes incomplete. But the Giants, man, from a coaching perspective, they're scheming up the right plays. That doesn't right. mean they don't make mistakes because there has been mismanagement on the offensive side of the football. We brought it up last week, I believe, Dan. How much has our opinion soured on Brian Dable? Because it seems like this year that luster around game management has has uh waned a little bit. And I know at the end of the game in this one, when the Giants were driving and getting into field goal range, there was another situation where you could look at it and be like, Do you really want to call that play in this specific situation? Sure. And I get it, too, Dan. Look, you just spiked the football. Tyrod Taylor got you into possible field goal range, even though you know what Graham yeah, Mason Crosby with that 31-yard rush. But then on second and 10, you hand the football off, and worse enough, it's a loss of two it moves you backwards. You have no timeouts, and the clock is just ticking at this point. Did you really want to take the ball out of Tyrod's hands when he was moving the football with quick game? And I know it wasn't always accurate, but an incomplete pass is a lot better than the clock moving and then putting yourself into a 3rd and twelve situation where everything is hasty and you got to get rid of the football. So right. I can understand why a lot of giant fans and giant pundits, people like us, are questioning Brian Dable with those types of play calls. And it just does seem like this season, Mike Kafka and Brian Dable, they have kind of, you know, muffed up a little bit in those specific scenarios and it hasn't worked out for the giants.
1: I think that's fair, a fair assessment and a fair critique by you, Nick, because there are a lot of games. The giants could have won this year that didn't go their way. They had a few that went their way. Patriots green Bay, uh, Washington, the six turnover, Washington game, not the first one. The first one I felt like the giants, you know, just kind of had control the whole game, but you know, they were had more than a few games where they could have won and, you know, and the Jets, obviously, I don't think I mentioned that, but the Jets game and there were decisions within those games that, that maybe impacted the outcome in a negative way for the giants. And so it's fair to say if that you know, at question, if that luster has been lost, but one thing that is, you know, so I, I'm so, I so adamantly believe in Nick, but from watching the tape, this is something I think you could only believe in adamantly. If you did watch the tape is that they still got it when it comes to the route combos, the designs. Where, where they're attacking, how they're attacking these opposing defensive schemes. Yeah. Even in this game, like, I felt like they figured out, like, they were so much better at attacking this style, this specific Raheem Moore's defense in the second half versus the first half. And I think they obviously saw some things that were like, okay, we can start to do this and get this going. So I still believe in their ability to scheme offense up, if that makes sense. With, with Of course, like, for me, it depends on if they have the right quarterback behind there and a better offensive line play overall. But I don't even think the offensive line, to me, like, it needs to improve. That's obvious, but it's not as far away in my mind as people think. Cause I think injuries played a big factor in why it was so bad at that certain points year. It's not good right now. Like this to me was the worst game by the giants offensive line in the non Daniel Jones games this entire year to me by far. Like I thought like the, thought Bredesen was bad in this game. I thought JMS was bad in this game. I'm going to be honest. I actually thought Andrew Thomas had one of his better games in, in recent weeks, though he's been pretty solid overall, but he was more dominant. And then obviously, you know, when you have to go to Matt Parrott, you're in a lot of trouble. Anytime, anytime you have to put Matt Parrot on a football field at tackle, you're going to be in trouble. So there's room to grow, but ultimately I think with these guys, they still proven to me, Nick, that they can scheme the offense up and then they can, and then they can deliver from that standpoint.
2: Yeah, I'm right there with you, man. And now
1: we're starting to see a much more vertical element to that. I think the the
2: Giants used their two- and three-man route concepts outside the numbers, which wasn't conducive to Daniel Jones just because he wasn't as uh, willing to throw from the pocket outside the numbers. But I would say Daniel Jones was... I don't know if adept is the right adjective, but he was solid at targeting the middle of the field and the intermediate parts of the field. But um, right now, even in this game, Tyrod was letting it rip Outside the numbers to these pivot routes off of clear outs from the number one. And he's also taking the number one when the number one wins at the line of scrimmage. Right, so right. There's a lot of awareness that goes into that. There's a lot of processing that goes into that. You're looking at safety rotation. You're seeing where the safeties are. You have to navigate the pocket, which we're showing right now. Like, this is one of the best navigations of the pocket that we've seen all season. Tommy DeVito had a really good one a couple of weeks ago as well. But Daniel Bellinger's beat. Daniel Bellinger holds the, uh, the defender. And some of these holds, by the way, like I can understand why this one was called. Some right. of them, and I think uh, whoever was on the call was saying Mark Sanchez was like, All right, like come on, guys. Like uh, some of them were a little cheese dicky holds, they were doing
1: saying? very, yeah. This was one of those games where the refs were really into just calling holding very strictly. Yeah, I felt like even though, despite that being the case, the giant did the Giants get any? Did I, I didn't see one called on Thibodeau or Dex or anything, right? So I don't think the Giants had any on their side, despite that being the case. But it did feel like at least on the Giants side of the ball, they were very it was one, you know, because holding is one of the things that can be called million times any game in reality. Yes. Like yeah. if we ever did go to the A.I. refs, like I joke about at times, Nick, it'd be very hard to do. That would be the first battle NFL would have to face. Like, can we go to A.I. refs? Because if we have, bring in A.I. refs, they're going to call hold every single play and the football is going to look horrible. And you know that, you know, the NFL, when they talk to the, when they talk to the offici- uh, officials, Nick, they're probably like, we can't call a million defensive and offensive hold a game. It's going to ruin the product. Like, yeah. everything's going to be a flag. We're redoing plays. It slows down the, the flow of the game entirely. So it's interesting, but it did feel like this, <laughs> this crew was definitely calling them more strictly.
2: I'll say the first Bellinger hold on the play yeah.
1: previous, he held the guy, too, and it wasn't called.
2: And I'm imagining okay. the guy was like, yo, man, he held me. And right. then they called it, and you could see he was being held. So it's like, all right, Bellinger, yeah, he's uh, he's holding that guy who's probably outweighs him by like I don't know, like a 20 or 30 pounds. Here's the end right. around, by the way. And I love and this is the upside of John Michael Schmitz and Andrew Thomas. We all know in space, yeah, in space, man. John Michael Schmitz is driving his dude out. Andrew Thomas getting a pancake about seven yards down the field, and then Wandel with that acceleration and contact balance falling forward through contact. To get the uh, touchdown for the New York Giants. Good play design, man. Don't really see many end arounds work like that for the New York Giants, these little trickery plays and screens and things of that nature.
1: Yeah, it was one of those plays where everything looked in flow and in sync for the Giants on that Wondell Robinson touchdown run. You know, you have JMS making a great block, Andrew Thomas making a great block, great efforts on the play from verse uh, Burst- 4. Phillips and Daniel Bellinger, eighty two and seventy nine. You just don't see that too many plays like that in the Giants' run game, where four guys are so in sync uh, with the blocking.
2: So, onto the defense. Well, actually, let's let's touch a little bit on the offensive line. It did not sure. have a good game. You were right, Andrew Thomas. I think was fine. He, he typically always is fine. Like if he has one bad rep, you're like, oh my god, seventy yeah. eight. <laughs> no, he's he, he's but. I'm not worried still about jms it hasn't been great i've Mm -hmm. seen him lose to immediate power moves and that was something that i saw on tape at minnesota specifically i think it was against indiana and i don't even know who the defensive lineman was but it was a move where he lost right away and i was like oh you don't see that often i saw it in this game too and i don't believe it was aaron donald i think it was a i think it was the other one kobe i think his name is uh the, the um
1: Kobe young, Turner, yeah.
2: Yeah, the young rookie. Great who, draft he, pick by them. Yeah. Yeah, it was fifth round or something. Yeah, he's uh, having a really phenomenal year and you could tell he he had an impact when he was out there on the football field as well. But I'm looking at this offensive line, Dan. Who at the interior spots other than J.M.S is like certain to be back next year? And who's like the long-term, like sure. what does our offensive line look like moving forward? And how does Evan Neal factor into this now that we're not going to see him at all? And, and I'm just like, are the Giants going to select an offensive lineman, maybe with one of their first two picks? Like, I think they probably could. Would it be a tackle? I don't. I wouldn't rule it out, right? Like, especially if the Giants do pick like fifth or sixth. Maybe yeah. you look at the kid from Notre Dame. Like, I don't know. I've just been thinking a lot about the offensive line recently, and I'm sure. just not 100% certain on
1: what it's going to look like or who's going to factor in, in Azu Azudu, all that kind of stuff. Well, I think it's fair to to start to consider that for a lot of reasons. One. It was another, I would say, subpar to really bad game from Ben Bredesen, who as each game wins on Nick and there's more tape on it. Hard not to lose faith right now in Ben Bredesen, to be honest, as a long term solution at right guard Nick or any of the guard spots. It's just how it looks on tape. It doesn't look good. You flip it over to the other side, Justin Pugh. I understand the situation which is you know he came off his couch so he didn't really have an off season to prepare his body and so he's probably just wearing down from a physical standpoint so I'm willing to give him that caveat but it's not really a position you know it's not a situation where I feel very comfortable turning to Justin Pugh as a giant starting left guard next year or anything more than a depth piece and I know he would only really resign with them Nick if he's guaranteed almost a starting left guard spot he's made it clear he doesn't want to be a backup. He doesn't want to be the role that Mark Lewinsky is playing right now. So that's left guard. That's right. Guard center is fine. They're going to go forward with John Michael Schmitz. Then it's right tackle where Evan Neal, like you said, has an ankle surgery now, and now it's an off season that's coming off surgery where he doesn't really have the full off season to prepare his body and get in the shape he wants to get. in. so as you look forward toward the off season, Nick, I don't think it's crazy for them to consider taking an offensive tackle with their first pick at five overall, if they lose this next game, um, To the Philadelphia Eagles who still have to play for something because look, we went through this process already the draft where Rashawn Slater was staring the Giants in the face and we loved his tape and the Giants said, you know what? We're not even considering offensive tackle with this first round pick. We just want skill position player because they don't want to draft over Matt pair and not give him (laughs) the, the room that he needs to grow. And that's something that you would consider night right now. It's almost the exact same situation with Evan Neal, despite obviously the case being that Evan Neal was a blue chip prospect and Matt Parrott was a developmental late third round pick. You know, they were taking 92 picks apart for a reason, but it is similar in the sense that Evan Neal hasn't looked good on tape at all in his limited reps. And if you pass on drafting over him again, because you don't want to bury him, what are you really doing for your offensive line? And I think the fact that Neil played right guard at Bama, Nick, or played guard at Bama, does give him, does give the Giants a little bit more, yeah, at least, lee room to guess, to second not second guess, but to ask themselves, like, all right, should we consider taking a tackle with our premium draft pick here in the first round and moving Evan Neal to guard, considering one, we don't really trust Neil fully at tackle, and he hasn't shown it, and two, Eh, we don't really have any guards for next year. Like, I guess you could count on a Zudu coming off a surgery, I guess. But I sure as hell don't really want Ben Bredesen starting all year. And to be honest, I'm starting to not earlier in the year. I wanted Justin Pugh, but I'm not so sure about that either, Nick.
2: So my thing about Pugh and Bredesen, I think they're both serviceable. And I don't know if I'm wrong there, but they're not pluses. And at this point, I think you do need pluses. I believe both of these players are better than the Shane Lemuse of the world and the West Martins and some of the guard play that we've seen over the last two to three years from the New York Giants. Bredesen, maybe not as much as Pugh. I think the veteran nature of Pugh makes him a more serviceable player, but they're both players that if you can upgrade over, you upgrade over. Now, the question is, is Evan Neal that guy? And is Joe Shane, who spent a top 10 pick on Evan Neal, going to... Basically say, I made a mistake. We'll figure him out, right? We'll put him at guard. We'll do something with him. He's not going to be wasted, but he's not going to be the tackle that we all envisioned. And that was my bad. Is that something that Joe Shane is going to do if hmm. the opportunity presents itself?
1: That's a good question, too. I don't think Joe Shane is the type of GM that doesn't like to uh, like, like, you know, the Joe Douglas keeping Zach Wilson as QB2 this oh, year. The so, Dave Gettleman not drafting over Matt Pair, like those types of moves. I don't think yeah. he's that kind of GM. But I don't know. You never know. Right. Like it's it's time will tell right now this draft class with what he does at tackle, because if he doesn't use that first pick on a tackle or sign like a veteran in free agency to be a swing tackle, though, you know, like it's such a pie in the sky type of idea because there are no veterans you can just sign to be a swing tackle or confident. competent. Like that's the, the reality of the situation in the NFL. It seems so easy. Like, oh, yeah, yeah you just get their veteran in to compete with Evan Neal. Done. Write it down Uh That's easy offseason move, but it's like which veteran is signing this mid tier level contract to be a swing tackle that could actually be competent in the NFL, given how bad tackle play is around the NFL. And the answer is probably none. So it's going to be an interesting spot for him. He either has to put his full faith in Neil, basically, or totally get rid of the idea of Neil being your long term right tackle and drafting a right tackle, maybe moving Neil to guard. So. It's a very interesting off season. to me, Nick, the best route for fix or improving this offensive line fast would be to sign a veteran guard. I think you can make a move at guard that can get you an immediate starter, either a left guard or right guard. And then you feel a little bit more confident when the rest of your positions there, right tackle and the other guard spot are just kind of competing. Yeah. Some of the guys, Zudu, maybe Bredesen, you know, maybe Neil for those two spots and then whatever else you can bring in. But, Tackle to me feels less likely. I feel like if you're going for agent round tackle, you have to get the big names and you have to really pay up this massive contract. And then you really are signaling to Neil that he's done.
2: Yeah, and it definitely worked last time the Giants did it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. worked for
1: some teams though, like Orlando Brown. Like some of these contracts yeah. have been good ones, some haven't. It's very hard to land a free, it's very hard to win in free agency in the NFL. That's why you got to draft well because the fact that they're in free agency says that their team didn't want to re sign them to a second deal. And why didn't they want to resign them? Injuries, bad stuff off the field, not production they didn't like on tape. There's all those factors playing in. But if you're a great player and you're young, your team is going to resign you.
2: Okay, let's move on to the defense here for a yep. second. Martindale, Mr. Wink, was in his bag, bro. This dude was bringing blitzes at Matt Stafford from everywhere, safeties a-gap, plug, fire zone, using simulated pressures, the twist, everything. He was in his bag. I loved the aggressive nature. And you know what? Even though Matt Stafford threw for over 300 yards, the guy threw two interceptions to Dane Belton in this game. I don't think he's thrown an interception in what, like the last like six weeks? or right. something? He's been one of the hottest quarterbacks in the NFL. And Wink Martindale, even though he only had four sacks, which is, you know, I'd sign up for that, right? It's not terrible at all. That's pretty good but he was after Matt Stafford and he rattled Matt Stafford and Matt Stafford was missing easy throws that he usually hits to Puka Nakua and Cooper cup. So bro, if Wink Martindale is the scapegoat at the end of the season, it's just not a good look because the 2023 season, you can't blame Wink Martindale for the Giants sucking. Cause this guy has look, it's a different type of defense, but he really messes with opposing offenses. And I'll say that. And then I'll say one more thing about Sean McVay. Might not be a better offensive play caller in the league other than maybe Shanahan when it comes to sequencing plays and calling run and pass plays out of the same formation, 11 personnel and right. making them look the freaking same. It was so much fun to
1: watch. That's what he does. That's the calling card for the, the McVay's of the world. They love to make it look the exact same. And just think about theoretically like, taking a step back, Nick, from a just general football perspective, how good of an idea that is right make your run plays look like pass plays do all the little details right to make them look exactly the same but one's a run one's a pass makes it very difficult for an opposing defense to stop like that style and that's you know that th- thought process but I do agree with your general point on wink because I think a lot of people will point to winks 2023 season and be like look the Giants sucked against the actual good quarterbacks and even in this game they gave up 400 yards though despite that after the game both McVay and Stafford were, were quick to praise uh, Wink Marndell, which, you know, you look back at some of their pressers from other games, they're not doing that for every DC they face and every coordinator they face. Reason being like part of this to me, at least is I'll be honest with you, Nick, a lack of talent on the defensive side of the ball. Aziz Jolari been injured most of the year, did not take the step we expect him to take cornerback situation for Wink. I mean. The Giants have one really talented player in their entire corner. You could talk about a Jackson still too. And uh, if you think he's still got it, but you know, he's been even been injured at times this year too. And the Giants have used all of their premium draft capital on the offensive side of the ball, with the exception of two picks over the last several, however many years. Um, so it's like, he's doing the best to me. He can with what he has to work with. Of course, it's not perfect at times, like you mentioned, but to even just get Stafford in position to throw those two interceptions and to take those sacks Is tough to do at this point with how much the Rams were clicking, like you said, going into this game.
2: And I also, just to further my praise on the Rams, that first drive, Stafford started five for five. Everything was just attacking outside the numbers in the off leverage type of positions where the Giants were in cover three, where they were in cover four, and the flat was open because the Giants, man, they were in the front that you're seeing right now, the majority of the game. They ran three, three, five with a five man front for most of the game, like the one time now, they, not the one time, but the few times that they did the 28 yard touchdown rush by Kyron Williams, who might be the most underrated running back in the league. Maybe we'll get to that here yep. in a little bit. He's much more than just a system back. Just watching that kid
1: play. Great vision.
2: But, that oh, dude, amazing vision. That 28 yard touchdown run, you know, was a was definitely a microcosm of that. But the Giants weren't in their three, three, five front for that. They were in at a two, four five. And you could just see how the blocking and the double teams from the Rams and how they were able to climb up to the second level off of the zone and the duo type of blocking concepts, how smooth the Rams offensive line is just wildly cohesive. And I know that unit has been together for much of the season, but in this game, Joe Noteboom played, who was hurt for a lot of the year. I can't remember the name of the, I think Alaric Jackson, the former Iowa Hawkeye is the, uh, is the left tackle that they benched, but it's not like you look at that offensive line. And you say, man, they have a crap load of talent there, bro. They have a first round pick. It's the total opposite. Yet they play like a freaking unit. And they play very well with uh, what Sean McVay asked them to do. And that's hope for the Giants, right? That's hope for the New York Giants that maybe they don't need to just keep investing first round picks into the position. They can still have success if they
1: can just all get on the same freaking page, bro. That's what it comes down to. I think the fastest path... Like the fastest path, we all know watching this team by now. I think at least that they could stand to benefit from a lot better offensive line play and and let's just call it better quarterback play. We don't have to say a lot better, but the path toward an offensive line feels to me like it's multiple and there's variables in play, Nick, and there's other options for improving offensive line. Like you said. Get the right coaching in there. Get the right development in there. Put a system in where everyone can just buy into what you're doing offensively and get on the same page. Some continuity for once, right? Like, it's no surprise to me. Some of the best offensive line play we saw from the Giants this year a few weeks ago during the DeVito era, DeVito uh, games, whatever you want to call it, era, the DeVito three games or whatever it was, was when they were all playing together. The continuity the same people playing the snaps on the offensive line, like the Rams have had for a lot of this season. And like a lot of the good offensive lines have, Nick, but it doesn't even just extend to that, right? Like the Browns have had a lot of injuries on their offensive line this year, and they're playing some of their best football on the offensive line right now because they bought into, like you said, Stefanski system and just generally not just Stefanski, but they're preaching and teaching and development of the offensive line from the coaching there, from the position coach, the offensive line coach. So, like, if you're looking for a scapegoat to me, Nick, it seems like it's pretty obvious. It's Bobby Johnson and it's this offensive line. But at the same time, I feel like there's a quicker path for them to fix their offensive line without using that first-round draft capital than there is to be quite honest for the quarterback position. And I know it's possible to find quarterbacks late these days, Nick. But if you want to get those traits in to to, to develop the quarterback how you like, but to still have that explosive element and the vertical element to his game. I really do feel like you want to get the blue chips at that position instead of just going hoping for a late round hit there at quarterback versus offensive line where I'm like looking around the NFL, Nick, and I'm like, eh, I see a lot of these offensive lines making it work without first round picks everywhere across the board.
2: Yeah, just man having a coach that can get everybody on the same page has to be the priority for yep. the offensive line at this point. I just don't believe we've had that. We thought we were going to get it with Joe Judge, and then he ended up almost fighting Mark Colombo because we looked at Mark Colombo and the job that we felt like he did with Jason Garrett as the offensive line coach for the Dallas Cowboys when the Dallas Cowboys had one of the best offensive lines in the NFL. But it just didn't transfer over. And then DiGuglielmo and then Rob Sale and now Bobby Johnson. It's just none of it. None of it has stuck and there's no development. And it does seem like it's like, yo, what what the hell are we doing wrong at this point? Right. Like why why can't the New York Giants just find an offensive line? It's been like a decade. This offensive line has just absolutely sucked. Decade plus. And I, I miss those days, man, of Kareem McKenzie and, and Chris Snee and David Deal and Richie Soibert. But it seems like it was forever ago at this point.
1: Yeah. And that's that's the question, they, in my opinion, the number one question to ask themselves this offseason. How do we get this figured out on the offensive line? And, you know, we cannot just continue to repeat over and over the same mistakes which is you know just assuming things will get better by drafting different players to put in there it's not at this point in my mind about the players and the talent and where they were drafted it's about the development the coaching and the system in a lot of ways like even you might have brought this example up to me or someone brought this example up to me and recently like about just that stretch the, toward the end of the 2020 season the first joe judge season uh when the giants won a lot of those games against those shitty quarterbacks but they did actually Developed despite Barkley being injured with Wayne Gallman, a really consistent rushing attack for that period. And I really feel like Goog- the Googs came in and did a good job of that. Was a good example to me of like not a lot of talent in the offensive line. It was playing horrible all year. They weren't run blocking all year, but Googs came in there and figured out a way to get them on the same page as a run blocking unit. And they opened up some big holes for Wayne Gallman at the end of that 2020 year. So it really was an example to me of a coach coming in and making a difference. I see very few examples of that happening uh, at the quarterback position, way more examples of it happening on the offensive line.
2: Yeah, because there's a unit there. I think coaching, there's more to it. Whereas the quarterback, I'm not saying quarterback coaches don't have anything. They obviously do. But it's all going to fall on the shoulders of that quarterback who's making that decision, who's recognizing, who's taking to the coaching. Right. Whereas the offensive line, there's five guys you have to get on the same page. There's a bunch of different blocking schemes, and you're going to tell them who to block based on right. what front and what the defense is trying to do based on the opponent. There's a lot of more moving parts to uh, to coordinating, whereas quarterback you're focusing obviously there's a ton of moving parts on the defense that you have to attack but it's on that quarterback to execute just yes. him and not just five different
1: dudes right and but, plus um, in that in that position it's also like <laughs> you could teach them all you want a quarterback, and you can go over all you want in the film room and that quarterback could get everything right in his film sessions like oh i should have seen this oh this is where. but then when the bullets are flying on the field can he process it in real time that's that's the other question you can learn it on the board but in real time it's a lot different yeah, you could be Jaron Hall, you know? All right, let's. Uh... God, was that bad. Can you believe that, though? Kevin O'Connell, this was uh, it, it, some people believe it was a fireball offense. Those people are my friend Steve Hall. Shout out, Steve. Hall. I don't know if he's still <laughs> listening. He was an avid listener on our podcast, but this is a type of year. I, I'm not so sure he's listening to this late of a podcast, but, you know, he he had Justin Jefferson against. Jaden reed ah. last night in the fantasy championship and lost because he's the co-owner of that team with mike i told you about this matchup but he lost because of that and I mean, he's like it's a fireball offense for a coach in a game where the vikings were still in the playoff contention before last night to play jaron hall like it's a fire like nick mullins obviously he turns the ball over a million times but at least he can freaking throw a football and keep an offense to some level on rhythm in the bad game like jaron hall was a disaster back there i i'm pretty sure that came from the general manager, I
2: think so too. I think I came from crazy. Yeah. He was like, "Yeah, let's see what we have in this fifth round pick, right. who's mobile." And our and, season's uh, over. We don't care.
1: Yeah. But they were in playoff contention. That's kind of the difference, Nick. Like, I get it if you're where the Giants are at, at like five and ten or five and eleven. But dude, they I, were in playoff contention before last night. Yeah,
2: I don't think that was from Kevin O'Connell though. But I have no, no information right. on that. It just didn't really. Mean. And then Kevin O'Connell pulled the plug right when he could. He was like, sure. "All right, yeah, we've seen enough. You suck, kid." Unfortunately for him, I wanted to bring this up real quick though. Yeah. Uh, sure. Look, look at the. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube, we have a simple pistol formation, and it was a, a three-by-one condensed bunch set. And this is like the little things that Sean McVay does that I absolutely love. They're going to motion, and they do this all the time. They motion somebody, whether it's a three-by-one or a two-by-two two to a three-by-one. They motion a player at the snap, and then they use them as a lead blocker when they run the football. But this is going to be a pass. They basically just take Cooper Cup from the three-receiver side, and they just run him to the flat. And what that does is that's going to bring... Nick McLeod, who is to the lone receiver side before the motion, outward. And if you look at the receiver, I believe it's Demarcus Robinson, who is that lone receiver? Who is going to cover DeMarcus Robinson? It's going to be either Jihad Ward, who's inside the hash, or Cordell Flott, who is inside the hash. So all they're going to do is expand 44, Nick McLeod. And then they're going to have DeMinard Robinson or Denard. I keep calling him a Denard. Demarcus Robinson just sit. Just a quick hitch route and then flow to the outside, knowing that Nick McLeod's going to be expanding to Cooper Cup. It's just like little simple things like I this like that, that you watch.
1: Concept. Yep.
2: But they do it all the time from different formations, especially against the Giants and especially against a lot of other zone teams where they know that you can just expand that outside defender and he's going to keep expanding outside the numbers. And then you can find a little quick hitch, a little quick slant between that hash and the numbers because there's going to be a void. And it's just knowing what the defense is going to do. I just think Sean McVay does such a wonderful job at uh, exploiting defenses in such a simple manner like this. And then when you have a guy who can catch the football and run after the catch, then it's even better for you yeah
1: you know I'll that say, and that's go ahead
2: oh yeah and I was I was just gonna say man I wanted to talk a little bit about about Kyron Williams because this dude was phenomenal in pass protection he has vision and I remember when this kid came out of the draft a lot of people were shitting on him because he ran like a four six or something like that and people were like yeah this guy has no athletic ability at all and I was like no I don't know i mean, he's he's okay right and uh he um He's better than okay. He's a very good running back, especially in this system where he can use his vision on the inside in the stretch in the outside zone. And he is a much tougher running back than uh than I than I guess I really knew before this game, just watching him run between the tackles and watching him pick up basically every blitz they asked him to. And then when they put Ronnie Rivers in there, Ronnie Rivers got like flattened by Bobby O'Karake. Okay? <laughs> it's just um, I don't know. I have a lot of respect for that guy.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. I think when it comes down to Kyron Williams, it's a matter of this is often gonna get this. We talked about this a lot on this podcast and it started to become a little more mainstream, but just the impact and the value processing has at the running back position. Cause I know when Kyron came out, bad testing numbers, bad athleticism, some people felt like on tape, they didn't like what they saw eye test wise. Everything from that standpoint said, ah, this guy can't really make it in the NFL. He doesn't really have those traits, quote unquote. But one trait that matters a lot is your processing as a running back, your mental ability to set up the blocks, understand the cutback lanes. To temple your runs i remember austin eckler did a great job uh breaking this down to matt Harmon on a yahoo fantasy podcast earlier this year i don't remember exactly what he did in breaking that down but he was doing a breakdown nick of david montgomery who's another runner who does a really good yeah. job in my opinion of that specific thing and so you can make it as an nfl back without the athleticism without i shouldn't say athleticism, he's still an athletic player but compared to like the barclays of the world if you do have that kind of processing power and he and he obviously has it man like watching kyron williams this year I, I, i'm sold
2: and you could see, uh, oh, absolutely. Same here. And here's another example of what I was referencing before with the motion. This one's going to be motioning to a three receiver side, sit DeNart or Demarcus Robinson. Yep. Pick the inside defender with a vertical route. And now you could choose the flat or Robinson and you're going to have the depth. And they chose Robinson on this play. And is this the fumble? I think it is. And that's yeah. actually right on cue to one of the final points I wanted to bring up here. Dane Belton, who recovered this fumble who tracked down Puka Nakua on that 80-yard mm. catch, not touchdown to set up one of Kyron's touchdowns, and who had two interceptions in this game. And it's going to beg the question, Dan. And I know we love Xavier McKinney on this podcast. We do, but we understand that the NFL is a business. Has Dane Belton done enough, or how comfortable do you feel in going forward with Dane Belton and Jason Pinnock as the safeties next year if the Giants do not have the market for Xavier McKinney? What are your thoughts on that?
1: Um, I I like Dame Belton's hustle. He played 42 snaps in this game, which is season high for him. I like his hustle. I like his knack to be around the ball. I wonder, you know, how much of that is, I don't want to say circumstantial, but how much of that is just being in the right place at the right time in over a small sample size of snaps that he's played. Nick, I would not feel perfectly comfortable with Pinnock and Belton as the Giants' only safeties next year, if I'm going to be completely honest. They they would add...
2: they would add somebody
1: yeah they would add someone obviously i would assume though again the safety market isn't that great free agents wise and i don't know if you can really count on a rookie to to operate within a system like this one which is going to ask you to do a lot like think of all the things that wink Mardell asked uh xavier mckinney to do and then who would you consider that like if they let him go let's say who's going to do that next year would it be dane Belton? Maybe. Maybe. I mean, I'm willing to give the kid an opportunity, Nick. I think so. But I just think there would be things that would be missing, specifically tackling-wise in an open field, but also in the run game and just diagnosis-wise that they are getting at a, uh, a McKinney. That doesn't always show up in the box score, but more so when you watch like every snap on the tape. And that's
2: kind of where I'm going with this. Yeah. Why has Dane Belton not really seen the football field that sure. much? I know the Giants like Pinnock. I know they like Xavier McKinney. But if if you have a player who... You know, seems to be in the right place at the right time a lot with these interceptions. Who's been a ball magnet for the Giants since he was drafted here? Why isn't he finding the football field? Why is he only going in on like quarters and right. uh, big dime? Which the Giants don't even run quarter this year because Bobby Okereke is always out on the football field, rightfully so. And I think it kind of comes down to tackling angles, which is a big deal, right? Yep, that's a huge deal. Playing safety, I personally still want the Giants to sign Xavier McKinney. I do want to see a little bit more of Dane Belton. And I think a trio at safety that the Giants have had this year, I think it's a solid trio. But if you do yeah. part ways with Xavier McKinney, I don't know if you can go into next season with just Dane Belton and Jason Pinnock and then and maybe add a, like a veteran and feel comfortable. I think safety would, wouldn't become a priority in the draft, but it would become something where it's like, if, if the right guy is there, we're going to take him.
1: Agreed, but also that's kind of another reason I want to resign McKinney Nick because that's I don't want point. to use, I don't want to use, I know yes. that that was your point of that as well, but it just like I, it made me think about it, Nick. I don't really want to use any premium capital anymore in safety, I'm kind of over it to be completely honest with you and maybe if you could get a kyle hamilton at like 18 because he keeps falling and the value is just so good that type of scenario sure like i'm into that nick and we knew that based on the tape we watched him at notre dame we're like this dude is going to get underdrafted it's so obvious because the nfl hates safeties it's you know spreading premium capital on safety but the reason they hate spending premium capital on safety is because it doesn't work out a lot and these guys are smaller type athletes they're injured at times like I just would hate to see the Giants use a first, second or third round pick on safety as far as my expectation goes for how do I fix this roster fastest or how do I get this team to being competitive fastest? Because to me, it's just it's it's just not enough to, to to move the needle anymore. And I'd rather just, you know, try to because if they hit on Pinnock, who I do kind of like Nick, it's a route you can go where you're not investing as much in the position. And you can get competent play. Well that's what Wink Martindale used to do with the
2: Ravens. Now we don't know if Martindale will be back, but Wink Martindale, Gino Stone, Chuck Clark, Brandon Stevens, who was like a corner that he drafted, I think, in like the third round out of SMU. So he was taking cornerbacks and switching in the safety, which we've seen with Nick McLeod here. So I think there's a lot of versatility. in in how wink martindale specifically can use his safeties and he doesn't need a a first round safety now we see what kyle hamilton has done in mike mcdonald's defense now with the baltimore ravens he's been one of the better defensive players in the league but uh i I just don't think it's a necessity but all in all man looking at like my final thought on it it's always going to come down to price it's what it always is but i I do want to see him back i just don't like seeing 24 year old very talented very versatile players leave the giants. And I just think we've seen that way too much over the last, what, like 15 years or so.
1: For sure. I'm with you on that one. All right. Anything else on the giants right now, or this game before we get out of here? One more thing. Sure. The run defense, it gave up three rushing touchdowns, the to Williams,
2: but it wasn't terrible. Was it?
1: No, outside of the touchdowns,
2: like the touchdowns and two of them were just like, there were yeah. wide open holes. There were, right. but I know they, I think, allowed like four point something yards per carry. So it was over the four mark. But there were a lot of plays where the inside runs were just bottled up. And Nacho had a pretty good game. I thought Jordan Riley had a pretty sure. damn good football game. DJ Davidson was solid out there. And then obviously Dexter Lawrence does Dexter Lawrence type of things. And a lot of this is also dictated because the giants were in that five man front, the three, three, five for most of the game. But it was one thing where I was like against the Eagles, Deandre Swift and Kenneth Gainwell. I know they only allowed 170 rushing yards, which isn't terrible against an Eagles team that consistently runs for over 200 yards against the giants. <laughs> um, but, uh, I was worried about that coming into this game and I felt like they, they uh surrendering three touchdowns terrible, but overall it wasn't as bad as I think the stats might allude to.
1: I think that's fair. I think my final take, Nick, would be a traits-based take. Um, this is just eye test based on the film, based on the broadcast, something I see. I see it when it comes to Wandale Robinson on film, man. I see Twitch, I see juice post-catch, I see the ability to to get in and out of his breaks. The ability to not waste space. He doesn't round out a lot of those types of routes, the pivots, the things like that. He just kind of makes those cuts, doesn't waste space. And then once he gets the ball in his hand, there is a different level of twitch and burst for Wondell Robinson that I think is in a lot of ways, special relative to the average athlete at the position in the NFL at wide receiver. So it's just one thing that I thought about watching the tape, man. I was just like, I have the high expectations now, much higher expectations. Surprisingly, Nick this year, Than I did last year going into this year, even, you know, injury nonwithstanding when it comes to Juan runs. I think he's put a lot more on tape to get excited about this year, even versus last year before the injury. And that to me is, is very exciting because I, you know, who knows when the day comes when the giants get a functional pass offense again, but if it comes sooner than later on his rookie contract, that's an exciting player to have team controlled cost controlled for under 2 million against the cap year after year.
2: I'm right there with you, man. I'm excited about his future.
1: All right. That's all we have for on today's big blue bander podcast. Obviously we're turning forward to the off season very soon, more mailbags, more off season content on its way. We will cover obviously the giants final game of the season against the Eagles as well. Giants are in position. I guess we can close out with this to get any pick really right now. If the giants win against the Eagles in week 18, Nick, they can move all the way up to number eight or number nine in the draft. I believe if they lose against the Eagles, uh, they can get all the way up to number two in the draft, but it would require a lot of crazy things happening. Some not as crazy as others, like the Patriots beating the Jets this weekend. I'm expecting and hoping that will happen, and it'll be yes. great for the giant trap position. It really should. Bill Belichick's last game against a team he always beats. It's a shitty Jets like Simeon looks horrible out there. I really hope and expect that to happen. Now, Cardinals over Seahawks. I don't know if i can say and expect that nick but i'm hopeful that that could maybe happen as well they just beat the eagles the cardinals and the seahawks are not playing their best ball just lost at home to the steelers and a basically must win game so that one has chance washington over dallas seems less likely obviously um probably not happening but you know so it'll be interesting to see where the giants fall draft position wise because it's going to make a big difference while there were some events that you could view as like a positive for the giants yesterday because it gives them this chance to maybe move all the way up to two if everything breaks right It also can be viewed as a negative what happened yesterday from a draft standpoint, because the Cardinals moving down, the Cardinals were viewed as a potential trade partner for the Giants as the Cardinals moved down. And by down, I mean, you know, further back in the draft, the Patriots and Washington moved up and both the Patriots and Washington are likely quarterback needy teams, one with a new owner, potentially a new GM uh, and a new head coach. I think Washington will have all that. New england with potentially a new head coach as well and their old head coach bill beljack was basically their gm too so you bring in new new they're probably going to want to put their stamp on it with a quarterback. So it could potentially be a very bad scenario for the Giants with potentially up to three quarterbacks now going in the first three picks if the Giants were high on Jaden Daniels as well, which we don't know um, at this point. So just something to keep an eye on. Still a lot of things to go, and we'll we'll cover all of that as well as we move forward. But thank you again. Have a great rest of your week. And Happy New Year, by the way, from the Big Blue Banter crew over here. It was a great year. Uh, at times in, 20, in 2023 uh, for the Giants. I, you know, they're in the playoffs. That was considered 2023, I'm pretty sure, Nick.
2: Got well that over a million downloads, which was cool.
1: That was awesome for the first time. Thank you to everybody who downloaded this podcast and contributed to that. Um, obviously, most of those came before the collapse, but it is what it is. The Giants need to win for this podcast to run. But thank you to everybody who tuned in, regardless if they were winning or losing, and hopefully better days ahead. We 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 have hope. So have a good rest of your week. We'll talk to you soon. Happy New Year.